Warning, this episode contains discussion on misogyny, domestic violence against women and children, and sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. I spit on your podcast, a monthly podcast brought to you by the Spinsters of Horror. This is a time once a month where I put down my bloody knitting needles and Kelly steps away from the TV to discuss horror, cult, and subversive cinema with thoughtful analysis, research, and passion. In this episode, we are unleashing the feral feminine by discussing the controversial Lucky McKee movie, The Woman from 2011. We are looking at misogyny, abuse, and generational trauma, also the profound concept of feral feminism. So pick your poison and listen on. If you dare. Jess, back with us, our second episode of our newly diverse podcast. (laughs) Why don't you tell our good listeners why we chose this movie and these topics? Well, we chose this movie because you and I, we both did uh, an episode guest appearance on What a Scream podcast for the grain where we did Mm -hmm. extreme revenge. And she was looking for some extreme revenge films and both we talked about I Spit on Your Grave remake and then Kelly brought to the table The Woman which is a film I know you've wanted to show me before you, mm-hmm. you actually you've also put it up uh, for a Disturbing Films for Curious Mind mm-hmm. Challenge mm-hmm. and so when you brought The Woman to the table we're like perfect and that's when we just discuss the idea of extreme revenge, rape revenge mm-hmm. uh, genre in itself. And then, yeah, you and I watched it in uh, January. Mm-hmm. I really love the film, and I know how much you love the film. Mm-hmm. We talked about it with you, Graham. We came up with some, like, really great ideas that we just mm-hmm. wanted to continue to explore and talk about. And that's what we're here to do today. Exactly. I mean, you summed it up very nicely. So this movie is... It's controversial. I mean, we we will be tackling more of these types of movies as the, I guess, the years go on, as the, the podcast continues to grow and expand and our interests in film grow and expand. Just talking about movies that are interesting and horrific and might be disturbing. I mean, we covered Megan is Missing and Ugh. we're still not recovered from that. <laughs> I don't ever think I'll be fully recovered from that. (laughs) I also don't think I'll be ever fully recovered from that movie. So, you know, we'll be touching more on controversial movies. And The Woman is one of them. So this movie premiered in 2011 at the Sundance Film Festival. And there was a hubbub, which was also recorded on YouTube. I think we shared it in our coven group. So if you want to watch this, 
there was a, a video uploaded of a very upset man at this premiere. So apparently after he had finished watching it, he was so disturbed and disgusted by the subject matter. He was saying, he was also a white man saying, he was like, it's not art, it's bullshit. There's no value of showing this to anyone confiscate burn it this movie degrades women it degrades men you're sick this is an art like just kind of like going on and on in this massive like tangent and he was just so enraged by this movie and I think was this your first time kind of like hearing about this Jess yeah I this is when you shared in Mm -hmm. our podcast notes and on the coven there about it there being that this much controversy around it and I was like why? I was really curious as to why would it be so controversial? Like, I know when I watch it, it's extreme film. It is a very emotional film. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been a very yeah. emotional month for me, but it's very hard hitting. It's a film mm-hmm. that shows the dangers of everyday life that people want mm-hmm. to avoid. The real mm-hmm. life horrors that can be all too real. And what's all too real in this film is the violence against women, the extreme misogyny and domestic violence. So I was like, why is he speaking out against so at first when I I went to go read the article I'm like Mm -hmm. is he speaking out against the like against the violence towards women Mm because is he I don't understand like is he saying it's demeaning towards women I'm like yeah of course it's demeaning towards women in the sense that he the film is showing what Mm -hmm. misogyny does and how it hurts women I I could understand what he was really upset about or or did he feel like upset because of the visceral revenge of the fact that the woman mm-hmm. went ripped out the guy's heart and, and cut a kid in half spoilers everyone sorry but yeah. you know what I mean like I don't yeah. so I was so curious as to what his controversy yeah. about like what is his fucking problem I'm cheering yeah. for the woman by the end of this film yeah <laughs> Oh, me too. Absolutely me too. And it's never really, he doesn't ever really clarify. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head where it's like, this movie is going to provoke emotions, visceral feelings. It's an experience. And you're right. Is he upset by the ending or the first bit of the movie? Like the first three quarters or the last quarter of this movie? Because they're, I think the first three quarters of the movie is the most disturbing part, not the revenge. And so, but that's coming from my perspective and that's Mm -hmm. his probably straight white dude perspective of this. But a lot of those types of feelings come down to what we see so much with like Megan is missing. And that was, there was a lot of controversy online about that movie, but it happens Mm -hmm. a lot. Horror does have those reminders of the real issues in the world. And from the bottom of my heart, I feel that the extreme cinema world does that even better because there's some extra awful stuff that happens in this world that regular, I'll say regular or mainstream horror is not touching. It's not touching, Mm -hmm. but these Mm -hmm. films do, and it will mess you up because it's showing you real messed up things. So I think it worked. The man just was, I think he just didn't really know how to like articulate what he was feeling. Articulate how uncomfortable he was feeling because those scenes are uncomfortable. The first, mm-hmm. the pretty mm-hmm. much, like you said, the it's an hour yeah. and 47 minute movie and you probably get re- your revenge the last 10, ten minutes. So oh, yeah. really yep. for a good hour and a half, you are watching mm-hmm. terrible things happen to women mm-hmm. in all generations Yeah, from someone who's supposed to be a trusted figure in society. Presenting us something, the all too real horrors that really do exist in the world that I, that I feel often gets ignored or doesn't get talked about enough. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really interesting that you bring up that, was he more uncomfortable about that 
first beginning of the movie because when we talked about the controversy with Megan is missing everyone was more upset about the scene where Megan talks about her being molested by yeah. the camp counselor than they really were about the 20 minutes at the end of the film like mm-hmm. that 20 minutes at the end of the film is fucking disturbing yeah but yeah. I remember people getting upset about that and I remember my in like this was I'm like but yeah but that's that's happening and that's why you're uncomfortable. What's happening mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is stuff that happens within the homes that are usually kept private and secret and quiet. Mm-hmm. And when that comes out, no one knows how to handle it. Like, yeah. No one knows how to, like, we're not properly equipped to help each other when people do come out with what ha- was what's happening to them. And one of the articles that we read, I thought this was a just a, a sentence from it, and I thought it hit the nail on the head, right? It says, the woman is a film about the all-American family as patriarchal nightmare. Yes. Exactly. And the tagline for the woman is, not every monster lives in the woods. Lucky McHugh knew exactly what he was doing with this movie. And if you watch it and you just take every, this, if you just look at the ending at face value or they don't, I don't know how anybody could not feel the tension throughout the rest of that movie, but they focus on the extreme violence and not the microaggressions and the, I guess, the more subtle or, less, quote, disturbing violence in the the first three quarters of the movie, then I guess, sure. But yeah, not every monster lives in the woods. Lucky McKee, God God love him. He is such a fantastic, interesting filmmaker. And he knew exactly what he was doing with this movie, I think. Oh, definitely. I think like this film and then one of those articles like talked about how this was like society it's addressing society's inner misogyny mm-hmm. and that the world is always so much more focused with all the horrors that happen outside of us what's happening outside mm-hmm. we tend to forget about the ones that exist inside the home and those are the ones usually mm-hmm. do the most damage that leads yes. out into the world so yeah. yes yeah. lucky mckee is right here's a, a just a random question i have for you jess and it was kind of uh it was in one of the articles as well which i thought was really interesting And it says, uh, so with with regards to the woman, it says, all of this raises an important question. Can extreme filmic violence be progressive even when it's directed at women? And I would say yes, because guess who's getting the brunt of extreme violence? We are. Based upon the research that we've done this past month and Mm -hmm. the conversations we've had, Yes. Like, I think, and also just realizing, too, that there are so many women who are interested in extreme violence and Mm -hmm. want to talk about it and have Mm -hmm. conversations. And recently I I found out that an author's uh, novel I read really hit me really fucking hard. Um, And it was extreme, and it was extreme horror novel. Yeah. And it had some stuff to do with children in it that really triggered me. Someone had informed me later on the reason why she writes that stuff is she's helping trying to heal through her own trauma Mm. and through, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. so I mean, so. I feel like it sucks that we have to watch this violence on women on screen, but at the same time, too, we're like, well, that, but you're seeing reality. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you're seeing reality being dictated in a fantastical way, at least in those environments. They're safe and they're portraying those things instead of, like, you know, because at the end of the day, you're going to watch that on the news. Mm-hmm. You're going to watch, you're going to hear a story about that later. You're going to watch it happen um, in a true crime documentary or something like that when mm-hmm. the husband ends up killing his wife. You know what I mean? So. I mean, I would love to have very, all kinds of, like, I guess, kind of standard, empowering, liberating kind of stories and movies, but that can only take us so far because we're, we can't live in this, like, everything is great, this perfect kind of future of what we would like to see and what we would like to have for our our women in our lives and for ourselves. But unfortunately, we do not live in that reality. So yeah, let's see some extreme film violence. Absolutely. That was my thought anyways. All right, well, let's get into talking about more directly and deeply, The Woman from 2011. 
salt. Fed the dogs yet? Are the things at school, kiddo? What kind of cookie do you want? I want a little man. Scratch anything? You'll see. This is our project, and it's a secret. What are we gonna do with her? We're gonna help her. We're gonna train her, civilize her, free her from herself, from her baser instincts. Get the rope. Everyone keep your distance. Are you sure you're not overextending? Have you ever known me to let things get out of hand? Do you really think we should be doing this? Do we really get to keep her? We do. So Kelly, tell me your story with the woman. I was really trying to think long and hard of the first time I watched this and how I heard of it. I'm pretty sure that I heard about it in a Rue Morgue magazine all those years ago because I used to have a subscription to Rue Morgue for, for a good number of years. Folks that are not Canadian, that is our like Fangoria here in Canada. So I, I had a subscription for such a long time. It made me super hip knowing what was new and cool <laughs> with horror. Stop that subscription a while ago. Don't know what's hip and cool anymore. So I probably read about it there, watched it, really enjoyed it, and I've seen it many, many times since. I also own it. So I probably saw it definitely greater than five years ago, maybe within the last eight years. Yeah. So it's been in my life for quite a while. Yeah. You also wrote about it for one of our earlier <laughs> yes. um, reviews on I Extreme. Did. I think it was on Extreme when Taboo Terrors was first. Uh, yeah. Yes. It was one format. of my early kind of like review slash dissections or whatever. And that's when I was just like, you know what the real villain of this movie is? It's not the woman. It's misogyny. And I was like, ooh. Got the gig from that big time. <laughs> yeah, well, of course. Yeah, but we know your story. You watched yeah. it for the first time for that podcast, right? Yes, exactly, exactly. Right. Knew about it from reading about it for yeah. you, um, yeah. editing your piece. But yeah. yeah, that's my first time with it. So what do you like about the woman? What are your likes and dislikes? Oh, God, the woman. The woman. That's going to be confusing. <laughs> the woman is the movie, and the woman is Pollyanna McIntosh, motherfucking feral queen. I am obsessed with her performance in this. It's incredible. I think everybody does a fantastic job in this. Like, obviously, the direct, the sorry, the actor that does play Chris Cleeks is so good at what he's doing. And that is what just like, it really just like upsets me, but like he does such a great job at playing that really vile character. So now if I ever see that actor again, I'm like, oh, no, no, no. You're just Chris Cleeks for the rest of your days. Same, um, <laughs> same here. <laughs> um, I think everybody did a great job. I love the story. I love revenge films, obviously. I've said that so many times, but 
I, I feel like the revenge in this is just like so sweet. It is so delicious and so warranted on so many levels. And again, the most terrifying aspect of this movie is not our feral queen, the woman herself, but misogyny. That is a real villain. That is the real monster of this movie. And I really think this movie should be talked about more and celebrated and praised more because I think it is absolutely incredible. What do you think? What are your thoughts? I could likes i completely (laughs) my thoughts like dislikes well let's just say there isn't any dislikes yeah because what can i dislike about this film the violence towards women well i dislike that in real life too so i what i like about this film was everything you said kelly is just you're you're trained like we're always trained to think of the of like our feral female protagonists to be the ones that are going to be like you know crazy cannibal eating and they're going to break into the family and stuff like that but Mm -hmm. the fact that the film like starts off with her and you see that beginning with her with the the dog and stuff like that you're you don't feel like you're like oh she's gonna be terrifying but really it's just not that at all like she's a fascinating character to watch Mm mm-hmm and that's why I love on the second rewatch again, just watching more of her and how she's interacting with the other uh, actors on the on the screen and stuff like that. And, that, and just to think that Pollyanna would have like went so deep into that because that's not easy. That's not no. an easy w- character to play Mm-mm. when you're literally having to use your body language and everything like that to mm-hmm. emanate what you're trying to say. Yeah. The music in this film <laughs> is so fucking heartbreaking. Like, yeah. I don't know how to describe it when like you're having like this most terrible scene and you're just like I thank you Lucky McKee for both having me like this song and hate it at the same time too (laughs) like like so mundane it's such a mundane song and that's what I think is really what amps up how the scary factor the extremeness factors of this film is that the most horrible things can happen to people in the most mundane settings Mm mm-hmm Right? Yeah, this is just like yep. a small little farm community, like little nice yeah. little farmhouse and stuff like that. And everything's supposed to be normal, making cookies for your daughters and stuff like that. But yeah, there's this heavy tension and evil and darkness around all the time. Far from normal. The, yeah, the use of lighting. I really like the use of lighting in this film, especially whenever they would go in to see the woman in mm-hmm. the cellar and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. There's some, yeah, just really great. Just really great. Like I. I watched this twice and mm-hmm. I'm amped up the whole time I'm watching it. So when you get to mm-hmm. that final 10 minutes, or like you like you said, it's just so fucking worth it in the end. You're like, yes, I don't care if it's a child being sawed in half. He is going to be a future problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's already a problem. For the first few years, I didn't really like the soundtrack, but it has grown on me. I did watch some special features on my um, Arrow release that I have, and I forgot to write down the name of the band. I am sorry, folks. Um, but So Lucky McKee really wanted that band. He's like, I need oh. this band and this music. It's just like this indie kind of yeah. like rock very band. Indie, yeah. And each character has their own song. Each song plays at important aspects of the scenes because of those characters. Like he puts so much attention to detail. And there's this really great interview with the the woman who plays Peggy. And she and that song her song is the one that she plays when she's sitting in the soccer field. Yeah, yeah. Which is a very, very upsetting song if you understand what's going on with Peggy. When you're on your own No one seems to care at all I'll just leave you with a choice You can pass 
but she listened to that like constantly. Like that music was always around for the characters to help to get them into their role. And they're all, it's all very important to their specific scenes. So, I mean, at first it's, I feel like it's a little off putting, but then yeah. it actually fits very perfectly. You, know, you listen to the lyrics and just, I mean, I think it's supposed to be kind of set in the nineties anyway. So it kind of has that vibe and I don't know. It's just, it, sat, it feels very like white suburban rock. So it feels perfect for this like facade of like this perfect white suburban kind of thing. And I was like, exactly. Lucky McKee. Love you. Yeah. Love you. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) All right. Well, let's get into the woman and starting off with misogyny and abuse. You know what? Make that all women. Make that all women. Because you're lynching. Every one of you, you suck a man dry. You work like a dog every day. Yeah, so like Kelly said, when she first did a review for this film, the thing she the thing she that she said that the true villain of this horror movie is misogyny. And what is misogyny? It is a word that means the hatred of women. It is once started out as a radical accusation to something that has now just become a part of our everyday media. So brief little history about the term misogyny. It first emerged in the 17th century as a response to an anti-woman pamphlet written by English fencing master Joseph Sweeten during a time when there was anxiety about women, about women's place in society. He spoke out against disobedient women who he said were being lewd, idled, and forward and inconstant. And it was Kina as a sexist pamphlet that was kind of a proto-incel material. And women responded to that. Of course, they're just like, well, fuck this guy. And in a play, in a feminist play um, called Switman the Woman Hater, arranged by women, there was a character by the name of Misogynos. However, the term itself, misogyny, skyrocketed in the 1970s and it really entered the lexicon of the second wave's feminist when Andrea Dorkins in 1974 wrote a critique, Women Hating. What she wrote was called the deep ingrained prejudice against women in forms of aspects of society from legislation to cohabitation. Women are despised and are often victims of violence. Uh, so misogyny, as understood by feminists, is a structural is actually considered to be structural, um, that our society itself is structured in a hateful way towards women, even though you don't really hate women. So misogyny, uh, the term itself means hatred against women, and our patriarchal structure is kind of built upon misogynistic principles that keep women seen as inferior to men, second class citizens. I mean, we, we've talked about these types of these, these themes and this kind of stuff before when we talk about like religion, Christianity, I'm like, hello, Garden of Eden, Eve. This has been around in our human society and civilization for way longer than we all can even fathom. Like I was astounded by when um, in, in some of our research, it even goes as far back as like ancient times, Aristotle like an yeah. infamous ph- Greek philosopher, he held the opinion that women were inferior, deformed versions of men. And everybody has listened to him for so long. Like this stuff goes back so, so far. So people who don't even know they're acting like misogynists, like they are. It's because it's so deeply ingrained into everything. Like you said, Jess, it is a structural problem. That's why it's going to be so hard to change the structure if we ever possibly can. Definitely not in our lifetime, I don't think, Jess, but it's going to take a lot to change it if it ever 
will be. It is such a massive, massive problem. And it's very upsetting because, you know, we all as women, we we see this time and time again for ourselves, other women, trans women, women of color, like it is so prevalent. And so what's really interesting to me is like, what causes misogyny? It's like, we know that this exists. It is a problem. Great. First step is acknowledging there is a problem. But what causes it? Where does it come from? You know, as a, like an everyday day to day person, like where does it come from? But it is a complex layering of cultural, social, childhood, our upbringing, religious, our own personal beliefs. Like there's it's there's so many complex layers, again, that some people maybe don't even realize that that their belief system comes from a different place or they are just truly misogynist. And, well, you know, we've talked about religious misogyny, but many organized religions formulated through Christianity or patriarchal religions, we'll say that much, see women as inferior to men. And again, how long has Christianity been along for? Thousands of years. And so if you are part of this religion, you're just, you're indoctrinated. That's a great word for it, but you're just indoctrinated into this, this world of misogyny, whether you know it or not. And one of the thing is, is with misogyny, it is not a mental health condition. It is an Mm -hmm. attitude and a belief. Mm -hmm. Like Kelly said, it is something that people are, it it gets ingrained. And that's why when we say, when people say like, you need to smash the patriarchy, when we're literally saying you need to not only smash the patriarchy, you need to smash the misogynistic beliefs that the patriarchy has been built around that have been keeping women oppressed and keeping women in fear and keep like, just like all these things that, that keep it happening. And on top of that too, it's not just men who can be misogynist. Mm-hmm. Because it's a, an attitude and belief, women can also be misogynistic to one another. Mm-hmm. This comes out of a feeling of superiority towards other women, a mm-hmm. contempt of feminine behaviors mm-hmm. and male-dominant ingrained beliefs. We have seen this. We have seen this in the abortion debate. There shouldn't be a debate, but there mm-hmm. are other women on the other side of the debate who are you know, feeling that they're feeling superior to other women and are giving into the misogynistic Mm -hmm. patriarchal ideals of a woman's body and domination over other women. Mm -hmm. So that they, you know, so that is a form of misogyny there. That's another form of hatred towards women. So, so so someone can't come to you and say, well, you know, I have a mental illness. I'm misogynist. You're like, no, that's bullshit. These are, yeah, like trained behaviors that can be untrained. So yeah, admit that there's a problem and that you're like, or maybe you're like, I don't really know. Well, let's sit back and like have a conversation about it. You figure it out. Another aspect, another cause, which is relevant to the movie we're talking about today is our upbringing, our childhood, our formative years, our family, direct family unit, our parents, they're supposed to be role models. They're supposed to be teaching us of the world and how to act and how to like present ourselves. And that's where problems start, right? They'll recreate misogyny. They probably saw misogyny and it gets carried down to their kids and you carry it down to their kids. They're inherent role models of appropriate behavior or inappropriate behavior. But like you're a child, you don't really know if you see your father acting a certain way towards your mother, you're going to think that that's normal and it's not great and it's not normal. It shouldn't be acceptable once it's in it's ingrained in you and through your formative years, you don't even know that it is there. And then you'll just, again, keep recreating it. And if nobody says no to you or says, you know what, you shouldn't act this way. You're going to keep it going. And in our movie, it's such a massive problem because we have our father, Chris Cleeks, who is a terrible misogynist. 
And he's teaching his son to be the exact same way. He sees his father doing terrible things like abusing his wife. So abusing. So the Brian, Brian is the, the child's uh, name. So abusing his mother, probably has seen him be abuse his sister, Peggy. He sees him being demeaning, talking down to his mother, like all of these little also microaggressions that he sees. So of course he's going to recreate this because he doesn't know any better. He doesn't know nobody's taught him. Sort of talking about Brian because of the childhood. So that in itself is called inherited misogyny. So like mm-hmm. Kelly said, children who witness violence in these mm-hmm. uh, in domestic violence situations. And like you said, they try to mimic the behavior from the pe- their parental figures or the adults. And yeah, Brian, he has literally been taught by his father through his father's way. He treats not only the women in his household, but all the women. Because mm-hmm. it was really interesting watching this film a second time around and mm-hmm. watching how Chris treats just women in general. General. In general, it's, you know, yep. not just like how he's abusive uh, towards his wife and terrifying towards his daughters and stuff like that. He is condescending to women. Mm-hmm. You know, he says very inappropriate things. Like when we first kind of meet him, he, you know, when he's talking to the one woman about selling some property. Yeah. And she's like, thank you so much. I'm glad you understand. He's like, well, I didn't have to give you a lube job because we're all friends. And I'm like, that is inappropriate, right? He calls the women on the telephones. Mm-hmm. He talk, He calls them good girl. He talks about their perfume. He doesn't yeah. like it when they talk to him about business. When his secretary talks to him about like, are you overextending mm-hmm. yourself? And he's like, Almost like you almost like if his wife, Belle, had said something like that to him, he would have smacked her and told her to shut her yes. mouth. But because he's yes. supposed to maintain an appearance of yes. being this perfect suburban father, yeah. he's just like, you're a good girl. You, your perfume smells so nice. Like yeah. flirting with him because he, yeah. he thinks that women are inferior. He doesn't believe that we have the intelligence or the ability to be able mm-hmm. to think or or for himself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's teaching his son the same way. Yeah. Women should not be questioning men. Brian has uh, a girl at school that he has issues with because she's better at basketball than him. So what does he try yes. to do? He tries to be nice yeah. to her and stuff like that, but then yeah. hurt her at the same time too. Like very manipulative. It's a manipulation that really got to me this time around. Like, and it can be subtle. Well, that wasn't subtle, but like it can be in certain situations, right? I think we might have all been there with some manipulation from men men towards us, but that's exactly what it is. And like for for Chris, you don't you don't question him. Like the secretary being like, um, maybe, maybe you don't do this, but then he had to be a little flirty cheeky with her. It's like, oh, but at home, oh no, you don't, you will not be questioning. So Peggy, the daughter, and Belle overall do not question. When Belle does question, maybe we shouldn't be having a woman from the woods chained up in our in our cellar. He smacks her. Like it's not even a like. There's no debate. There's no no discourse. No conversation. No discussion. He gets she gets slapped. He brushes his teeth. He goes to bed. Like it's just you do not do that. Mm-hmm. What got me again to like Brian brings it to like this sadistic level. I feel like not that Chris is oh, acceptable, yeah. but Brian is like this next level. Like he could be like sociopathic, like maybe a killer, maybe a oh, serial yeah. rapist. Like I foresee really bad things that that child was able to grow up into an adult like he takes it to a new level of torture and delight like he loves well frankly they're not very nice to the dogs they have chained up in the back 
in the barn either. Like he loves like spraying them with hoses and looking down upon them because literally anybody that is not a man, species, different species either, like included, are inferior. So he loves to torment them. And it comes in later in the movie, but they're, they have another daughter that is forced to live with the dogs and grew up raised by dogs. Her name is Socket. Like he just takes it to this really extra gross level. And I think you also see that too when the unfortunate rape scene of the feral woman, Chris, it is disgusting, but he comes down, he writes, he, sorry, he lights a candle. It's like this romantic lighting, like he thinks sex should be or something. It's very bizarre. But then Brian goes down and is like torturing her and pinching her nipples and wanting to tear her nipples off. And apparently was also playing with himself. It's said to us, but we don't see it. Lucky McKee is great for yeah. showing us what we actually just need to be seeing. Not that we we can just learn about some things. We don't have to see everything. And so, yeah, Brian, he he's a problem. He could be super. He's already problematic. Oh, yeah. Like you said, um, one of the articles we read, they talked about how Brian is a pure psychopath. He is yes. already literally like zoning the behaviors of yeah. a psychopath, torturing animals. He's, yeah. you know likes violence like he's just not he's he's on the bad path and he's confused right yeah. because he doesn't understand his father's attraction towards women like he he should feel yeah. an attraction towards women but he doesn't brian doesn't feel an attraction towards women in the way that it's normal i would agree and the thing that some of our research posited it's like okay so yes misogyny is a thing patriarchy is a thing so we know all these things so why does abuse, domestic assault. Why is this still happening? It is such a still absolutely terrible, prevalent issue. So why is it still happening? Big thing is we know sexism, misogyny persists. It is continuous, but also there's an element there that gets me every time and it's male entitlement. Yeah. And male entitlement is Chris Cleeks to a motherfucking T. Like he thinks he deserves to act this way. He deserves to have all these people as kind of like working slaves for him and doing everything for him. Freaking Bell makes his cigarettes for him, gets up at the crack of dawn, just to yeah. see him off and probably make him his coffee and his breakfast and make him his homemade cigarettes. And that is it because it keeps, again, they feel like they deserve women and they should have our bodies and that it's okay for us to do this. It's this contempt or hatred towards women is, again, like I said, we've said a few times, it's like it's so prevalent and structural that it's hard for so many of us to escape it. I want to say something special to you I've been known to lie, but this is all true Just let me know if I'm being a creep But I want to take you in my arms and kiss you real deep It ain't poetic and it ain't profound If it doesn't freak you out, I hope you'll stick around I'd say inherited misogyny. We talk about that since we're talking about this. Sometimes men grow up and they don't even, they're not even aware of that, their entitlement or privilege. Again, they've grown up with all of this. Maybe they're, again, not even aware of this. They're repeating these roles. So what can we do? Folks that are having children, the solution to reversing this is to talk about this in childhood and continue talking about this as they get older, time and time again, keep it going because they're going to go out in the world and then be challenged by everybody else's beliefs, their social beliefs, our social norms. People that are having kids, which is not us, they need to do it. They need to talk about this, have these regular conversations. 
Children are still learning under the patriarchy and they're being harmed by it. So folks having kids, you need to be on top of this. We have to change it from the ground up. And again, I'm not having kids, so I can't do this. But folks that are having kids, you know, you got a, you got a job to do with sons. You do. I have a question for you, Jess. On this rewatch, Jess, I, I, what I found really interesting, again, Lucky McKee, incredible director, and he also wrote this one. And what I found really interesting, so a lot of what's done to the woman the woman as the woman, our feral woman, is implied and sometimes off screen or it's like you don't see so much. It's just not gratuitous. But the revenge is at the end. What are your thoughts on that? And if you notice that as well, like the stuff directly done to the woman is not gratuitous, but the revenge is deeply gratuitous. Like, have we seen enough of the abuse towards women? We don't really, you know, I mean, that that is time to turn our eyes to to something else. Like, I don't know. I just found that really interesting that her scenes aren't, I don't want to say not disturbing because it is, but it's the gratuitous, it's gratuitous. Like the ending is like, whoa, whoa, this has turned into an exploitation movie. The whole thing is not like that though. So I wouldn't necessarily call it an exploitation film, but like the end, as you said, like amps up, everything else has been much more, again, those microaggressions, subtle, like the prevalent, like tension, but the end is like, Boom. So how I feel with the way this movie plays out is that by not displaying to us the, like, because, okay, so remember the scene, like we were talking about earlier about when Belle questions about why the woman is there and he smacks her or the one time that Belle speaks out and like, she's like, fuck you, I'm done, I'm out. And all of a sudden he's quiet and then just attacks. Yes. So that is a very... So what we see throughout a lot of this film is the calm before the storm. Mm. And often when you live in a household filled with domestic violence or violence towards women or any, or any kind of sexual abuse or happening like that, you're always afraid about what's going to happen next. You're always right. on guard. You're always watching. You're always waiting. And that's how I feel. And like when you're watching the scenes with Belle, Peggy, mm-hmm. Darlin', like all the women, so like they are constantly on high alert. They're mm-hmm. in fight or flight mode all the time. And the woman, she recognizes that. And that's how she, why she can she can see what situation this family is in. But the violence towards her, I, like I feel like the some of the violence that we see to the, the civilized women, it was more jarring. Where like if we were watching the violence to happen towards her, she is, Chris sees her as an object. And mm-hmm. he knows that she's going to fight back. Like we saw her when she bit his mm-hmm. finger off. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. So I feel like, for me, the horror of the film that comes from, comes from what's happening inside what the home with the family. And that we have seen men trying to rape women in the in the past before and stuff like that. And I feel like Lucky McKee's not trying to make that the emphasis of the story, right? I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, when mm-hmm. you first watch the film, you're like, oh, he's trying to civilize this woman? This is fucking, like, that's terrible. That, why would you chain a woman and do that? But then you, when you start watching the family and you're like, oh, mm-hmm. oh my God. Like, we know when the woman gets out, she's going to be fucking fine. It's this yeah. family we're watching. Yeah. And we're like, holy fuck. That is, yeah. that is more unnerving than anything. And I think, for me, uh, watching this film, I think this is what comes to the place of domestic violence. Like, often violence against women is the most common widespread human rights violation. And it's still happening. And this mm-hmm. violence doesn't just happen, you know, in a physical way. It can be mental. It can mm-hmm. be emotional. It can mm-hmm. be social. It can be financial. It can be discrimination against women. Yeah. And it literally impacts a woman's ability to be able to participate in society and their opportunities. And it impacts their children. And mm-hmm. it impacts the community they live in. And... What domestic violence is, and I feel like the film is really focusing on that, is that domestic violence or intimate partner violence is often committed by people in close social relationships. Chris Toy's wife, Belle. 
his his power, mm-hmm. his aim in that relationship is control and power. Like Kelly said, he wants yeah. uh, uh, Belle yeah. to be the submissive person, woman to recognize that he is the provider of the household and that she yeah. is to follow through with everything and anything he wants. Follow your role. He follow your role. He breaks. He literally breaks her spirit in that way. And yeah. often this violence happens among wider family members. It can also happen from former partners as well. Mm-hmm. We also see sexualized violence in this household. We're seeing sexual acts being done against the will of another person. Mm-hmm. And is often a f- another form of gendered violence that deals with verbal harassment, goes from verbal harassment to rape. Mm-hmm. Another means of a which someone can exercise power, control, or oppression over someone. And it's not all, and it's not about sexual satisfaction. It is about domination. And unfortunately, we see this in the mm-hmm. role of Peggy. We know that she is being, she was raped by her father. She is impregnated by her father. She's terrified of him. Mm-hmm. He has done this, and then he's doing the same thing to the woman. And I discovered a really yeah. disgusting thing watching the film the second time around, the candle. We see Chris go down when he goes to go to rape the mm-hmm. woman. He's carrying a candle with him. Yes. We yeah. see that can- We see another candle beside Belle's bed. We see a candle beside Peggy's bed. Oh. Ooh. He has claimed his property. He is, by oh. bringing that candle, those are the women that he's claimed. And that is sexual uh, sexual violence. This is another way that when we're able to claim their property. And then you get psychological wow. violence, which is also happening in this film, and that Chris tries to do mm-hmm. to the woman, but she's too fucking strong. Yeah, it is emotional and mental injuries. These are intimidations, looks, mm-hmm. gestures, screaming, yeah. shouting, threats, yeah. coercions, humiliation, discrimination, public ridicule, yeah. other means of controlling and a dominating behavior that usually comes out of extreme jealousy or isolation. Chris does this to all the women. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone, like, he uses instructions. He doesn't, I realize throughout the film, he doesn't talk to his wife or daughter as mm-hmm. individuals he gives them instructions he yeah. only speaks to them in orders and instructions that's it he's demeaning he's condescending he doesn't like being questioned when miss rattan the queer teacher who comes to help peggy yeah when she realizes she is pregnant chris loses like loses it on her yeah and starts that's to it. like back yeah. her into a corner and yeah. call, it's like how dare you say this about me and, da, 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 and yeah. who do you think you are like so this is just this form of violence that comes out uh, mm-hmm. throughout the film that Kelly was speaking to that is enacted by this patriarchal figure, the the male of the household, mm-hmm. and now his son is eventually is also going to start exhibiting yeah. those behaviors. And when we see Chris lose his temper and start uh, railing out, what does he do, do when his son is standing there? He asks his son to help. He encourages his son. Mm-hmm. That yeah. behavior is violence against women. is an international violation of a human right. Yeah, I have to say, like, there's a lot of upsetting scenes in this, but the most uncomfortable for me is, and I'm sure it's supposed to be this, but when Chris sits down on Peggy's bed to just chat with her, I was like, oh, no, it's yep. it's awful. And she does such a, again, such a, everybody's acting is so superb. Both of them. And like the actress who plays Peggy is doing such an incredible job. And like the actress who plays Belle, the mother, Angela Bettis, like she is an incredibly like nuanced actor. And she, again, is also so amazing here. Even little, the kid actors are really great. But I talk about that scene because like, we can only imagine what this family was like before this movie started. Because once this movie, we're into it. We start seeing things start to break down. We're, I think, feel like we're at the boiling point once the woman, she was just like the savior we they all we all needed. I also need her. Yes. The savior this whole family needed, mainly the women of this yeah. family needed because they are at a boiling point. Peggy is a hot mess for good reason. She's barely holding it together. She's trying her best. 
Belle is a truly broken down woman. Like she's so frail and meek, like this little mouse. Like you can just see the way she walks. Like she's a, a very slender woman anyways, but she just looked like she, you could just blow on her and she would fall over. It's, it's wild. And then you're watching Darlin. Yeah. She's self-soothing herself with her radio. She is just, you can tell that she is a child that is growing up in a very tenacious, traumatic household. Yes. And she is just dealing with the lack of safety that exists. Yeah. yeah. And it's a very sweet moment where she takes her radio out to the woman who's chained up in the cellar. And is like, I like to, I listen to music before I go to bed. And I was like, you sweet little thing, just trying to help this woman go to bed. But yeah, like everybody is going to, everybody breaks, you know, Belle breaks so yeah, Kelly, so you were talking about the women of the Gleek household, and what we're seeing in front of us is the the results of what's going to be generational trauma. And generational trauma occurs within a family and impacts subsequent generations from mother to daughter mm -hmm. and so forth. Um, this is often because children are witnessing the trauma of a caregiver and they're suffering. They're either victimized individuals that may adopt maladaptive parenting behaviors, so repeating the the wrongs of their parents you know they're repeating yeah. the cycles of abuse and trauma and then there's also communication and storytelling instilling instilling fear in one's offspring of you can't walk around at night alone at night because you're going to be seen as a target right and really kelly and i read this really interesting article that was both heartbreaking but also like fuck we need to keep fighting we just need to yes. keep fighting yeah yeah it's not all doom and gloom here today folks not all doom and gloom <laughs> Yeah, well, well, we're eventually going to get to the, the, the good stuff. But what's really <laughs> interesting is that, you know, within these families, you know, we have this generational trauma, you know, if domestic violence is happening in a family, we know it's going to impact the children. We know that those children are going to grow up as traumatized adults and they're going to have their whole lives to try and figure out and trying to work through all that trauma. And then they may yep. carry that trauma to the next generation. But the mm -hmm. thing is, as well, in our society with the big topic of misogyny, women on top of that have to not only carry within our own family trauma, but the trauma that has been en enacted upon women since the beginning of time, right? That mm -hmm. has been, you know, mm -hmm. under the patriarchal system, women have been treated as second-class citizens and men have been allowed to rape, beat, murder, mutilate, starve, control women for mm -hmm. over thousands of years. And I know a lot of conversation now has been coming forward and acknowledging that trauma that women have been have impacted us for so many generations. What I thought was really in extra interesting in this article was that we need to start looking at the trauma of women differently. We experience everything differently than like men would, uh, trans people would, like so cisgendered women, like everybody every single person is going to experience this differently. What they posited in the article, which I thought was interesting, was that are we as women experiencing generational trauma without even knowing it? Fun facts, women are more likely to die of a heart attack than men. We have higher rates of depression and stroke. Women's rates of post-traumatic stress disorder are twice as high as men's. On average, our symptoms last four times longer than men's. And then also women are more likely to experience sexual trauma than men and sexual trauma is more likely to cause PTSD than other types of trauma. We have very unique experiences, which leads to our very unique, again, gendered trauma and responses and how we're going to deal with it. And that's just actual just facts. That's just scientific facts. So maybe we need to be looking at this more closely. Again, people having children, 
what they're bringing into their lives, how they're dealing with themselves when they're having children and then their children. And like when you're a grandparent, like there's still a, a very important role as a grandparent with your grandkids and helping them out. So don't just stop with the teaching of all kinds of things and not just like the very fucking downer stuff that you can teach people about, but how we can survive. And that was the other thing that was not, you know, less of a downer of this is like, yes, we may be passing down mental illness, physical ailments. Um, we can pass down uh, survival tactics, instinct, resistance, resilience. Resilience is such a big thing because I think women are so incredible because we are so resilient, maybe because we have to be right. And that's what I find so incredible because when we get close, when we talk about the ending of the movie, which we will, there's hope there's catharsis is moving on, but there is hope. Yeah, it is women pushing back, women becoming stronger and like Kelly said, more resilient as we're becoming more organized. And here's another thing everyone keeps complaining about on the internet that they can't find women and stuff like that today. Guess what? Women are becoming less tolerant of their oppression. Yes. We're starting to push back. We're starting yes. to, we, we have always been fighting back and we keep fighting back and we're coming back stronger and stronger, yes. especially each as we are becoming more, each generation. Yeah. <laughs> For every generation, every generation. there is a slayer. <laughs> <laughs> come up in this episode in each generation but you're right there's more protests we're finding our voices we're saying we're taking up space we are going to fight for our own for ourselves, for our sisters, for this community we're not settling for the bare minimum anymore and I love that you brought up that you know, men being upset because women aren't going to settle anymore. More women are staying single. Hello, that's me, you know, because we're not dealing with this anymore. We're less tolerant of the bullshit, the nonsense, your misogyny. You're not recognizing it's a problem. I'm not going to deal with this problem. So we get to the end of the woman and we've gone through a lot. There's so much tension. <laughs> we're, we're feeling icky. We need to have a shower. We probably all hate men and we just want to cry. The teacher comes knocking. And for me, this is like Chris loses control. This was it. I th Again, I think this was like the boiling point for this family. The teacher comes and he's like, and that's it. He starts to lose control because before that, again, he has that facade. He has that kind of that reputation in the home. His reputation is very different than his social reputation that he has. He seems to be very just like likable, personable, fun, charismatic. Of course, you got to watch out for those. But he loses control because mm -hmm. that teacher comes in and messes everything up. Uh, despite her best intentions. Yeah, unfortunately with Miss Rattalan, like, you understand that she's trying to do her best for yeah. Peggy. Like, she's like, yes, my, my goal is... But at the same time, too, though, I was like... Oh boy, it, you are doing this all wrong. If you feel like there's yes. something concerning about what's happening with a child in the household, and and I will get into this a little bit later when we talk about the woman and instinct. And I just felt that Miss Rattan. Yeah. I remember when we first watched it. I remember saying to you, being like, she is doing everything wrong right now. She should not be approaching the family yeah. um, of this situation because yeah. of the fact that the father is now all of a sudden not like I just like she's not listening to the daughter and I know there's more complications around that and I understand that there are a lot yeah. of nuances when it comes to finding out about something's happening in a household and you have to inform the parents but you're not sure what you can do because of the situation you don't want to call social services because it could be something not what she thinks it is but 
I guess the, as the audience, we know that we're like, oh, no, this is not good. Miss Rattan, you're yeah. in a very dangerous situation right now with uh, Chris because he did not like this woman questioning his patriarchal authority or accusing him of something so da- so terrible. Yeah, and this is when we really see how Chris feels about women because up until this point, it was all based on like oh, yeah. how he talks to them and how he interacts with them but now we know because he's lost control this is it now we're everyone's spiraling and that's like that's our climax of the movie he's like women are leeches they suck you dry he really he says like really women are good for very few things apparently and of course they deserve to be chained in the cellar that's the bottom line here women deserve to be chained in the cellar whether it's actual chains or it's the quote, chains of domestics of the domestic sphere, but that's where he believes women should be. And then I get chills every time this happens in the movie, but we know Peggy lets loose the woman, as you should. Mm, Yes. Peggy has felt sympathy for this woman the entire time. So when the woman gets out and she opens that barn door... And she's ready because Chris and Brian are in that barn. I always get chills. I'm just like, yes, yes, here it is. It's coming. It's happening. Thank goodness. I need some. I need a moment. I need this. Because (laughs) I've just witnessed too much. And I need this. And that comes and it gets to this really wonderful ending of the movie that really I didn't think too much about for years when I watched this movie. But this concept of escaping this vicious cycle of misogyny, of toxicity, of entitlement, of abuse is this chosen family kind of idea that that I know you really you really um, enjoyed and appreciated Jess for this ending and it's just it's it's a very oddly you wouldn't think wholesome ending because once the revenge is over we get this again this really nice family moment that's filled with compassion and leadership and yeah, which we did not get. We did not have it in the clique family. No, you, you didn't get that at all. And it was really interesting. The woman was able to essentially save this family from going down the even more terrible, horrible, like she yeah. helped them break the generational trauma. Yes. yes. It's interesting that she takes Darlin uh, into the woods and then Peggy just kind of falls with her. Yeah. And you're like, you're wondering like, well, how is this situation going to work out? Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it's just showing um, a a sense of sisterhood and a sense of connection that this woman has built with these two younger women because of Mm -hmm. how she was able to reach them when they needed her. That sounds very foufay, but... (laughs) No. (laughs) But it is a a very wholesome, fantastic ending to this whole story, this journey that we've been on. We're showing this, the change, the inversion of this, quote, nuclear family, which can be so destructive. And I like that maybe Lucky McKee's message is like, hey, if we want to break this cycle, vicious cycle of like misogyny and male entitlement and all that, we need to form our own community, maybe all female community. But I think a part of that is forming strong bonds with our female friends, co-workers, family that you can trust, like because it's so normalized to break so many of those relationships when you get into a monogamous heteronormative relationship. I I still firmly believe that our most important relationship is to ourselves, but then the other important relationship is to our female friends. Like again, romantic relationships can come and go, but you know what? Our friends, our sisters, the ones that are going to be there for us 
until the end, so to speak. So I like that he kind of was positing that kind of idea and that concept that to get rid of this, we need to be go surrounded by women. Maybe that's not what he's saying, but I mean, this whole idea leading into the feral feminine is that we were supposed to think that the woman was so, quote, uncivilized and, quote, savage and so like this feral um, lack of intelligence kind of like creature. But her family is the most wholesome and honest and compassionate that we have seen. That's what she can give to people. That's what she can give to these clique women. And why is that? Well, she has a very unique story of her own. And she is a very, like you said, Jess, I think she's a fascinating character that we will now talk about more. Get me soda pop while you're at it. Concept of feral feminism. I came about this when I was doing research for a guest appearance on a different podcast for a completely different movie in many, many ways. But I found it fascinating and thought that it worked so interestingly and perfect for this movie because she, the woman is quite literally a feral woman. So feral feminism, there's no real like strict definition of it. That is a concept that we initially started in the infamous book that I would love to read fully called Women Who Run With the Wolves, Myths and Stories of the Wild Women Archetype. So that is written by a Jungian analyst, author and poet, Clarissa Pinkola Estes, who has a PhD. It was published in 1992. It seems to be more leaning heavily on more of like the spiritual aspect of it, which is great. It's more of a spiritual guide for women, but I think it deserves a read. And I sadly wasn't able to do so for this episode, but I would love to because I find this concept of feral feminism very, very interesting. And frankly, I relate to it a lot and I feel a lot of that for myself. And I find it a very, a very essentially empowering, liberating concept. Yeah, so like with feral feminism, it's all about celebrating the, what's naturally feminine. The woman's body and the consciousness is repositioned back to nature before feudalism came in and domesticated the woman. So it's rejecting all societal mm-hmm. and systematic standards that have been placed upon us mm-hmm. by a capitalist patriarchal society and it's repositioning the woman at the center of it all again and trusting herself and trusting her instincts and 
often what are really is interesting with uh, the book Women Who Run With Wolves, it's a book that I also own and have, have yet to jump into to read as well, but she talks a lot about how these days there's, there's a lot of these high expectations on women who are often treated like property and objects and seen as lesser beings, and a lot of predatory yeah. men like to tend to like to cut women off from their feelings, their ideas, and their actions, which is what is our strength as women, is what is like our natural, it's something very mm-hmm. natural about us, and our mm-hmm. instincts, our heart, our knowledge, right? that you know we're we're constantly trying to be kept on um locked away from mm-hmm. so that we can't really come into the power within us right because a naive yeah. woman is easy is easy prey she's easy to uh seduce she's easy to keep control of because mm-hmm. she doesn't trust her instincts she's told to be nice she behaves as a nice way but a woman who trusts her instincts and know a predator and knows a predator when she sees it and fights back yeah. Mm-mm-mm. She's aggressive. Yeah. She's assertive. She's a threat. She's a wild woman. She needs to be put down. Yeah. But not the woman. Instincts, what I thought was really interesting is some of the, in some of the research about feral feminism, it made a really great point is that instincts are no longer deemed important in today's society because we don't, you know, we're not hunter gatherers anymore. Good God forbid, you know, where you got to follow and obey. We got to rule or dominate. It's all about binaries, as we all know. But like, no, instincts are not important. You say we're, we're thinking of or speaking from instincts. People are like, oh, no, no, what? That that sounds a little wishy-washy, you know, let's say new agey. Like it's got something weird there. Rationality is where it's all at. Logistical stuff, you know, facts and figures. We're like, no, but instinct is quite literally something that we do have as humans, but it's just not valued anymore. And we see that in the movie, right? The woman is all based on instinct, on survival, because that's she lives in the woods. She is our our hunter, our gatherer, because she, yeah, she lives in the woods. She is outside of our society. And if you fall outside of these very, like, binaries, like, obey or follow rules and, you know, follow instincts and maybe survival, survivalism and some animal, the animal instincts, like, are deeper within, like, connection to nature, because we still are somehow connected there. So if you step outside that box, we know that they're removing our rights, left, right, and center here, we're abused, we're raped, we're killed, or alienated, like, and that's exactly what we do to the woman here, because we think that she deserves it. Well, that's what Chris tries to do. Like, the moment Chris sees the woman in the wild, he Ooh. sees her as he sees her as prey. He's out there hunting. Hunting, for, yes. He's yep. out there hunting for animals. He ends yep. up stumbling upon a woman. He sees her as an object because he's seeing her, watching yep. her nude. And even when he envisions her later, all he does is think of her as an object, as a sex object that he will, yep. he wants to dominate and obtain because he saw her naturally out in the wild and she's a feral creature that he needs to make sure he's domesticated. And he says, we need to civilize her when she bites his finger off, mm-hmm. right? When he's... Yeah. I fucking love that scene. And I'm watching it the second time around (laughs) because she knows she's playing dead. She's playing dead. She's so fucking smart. The woman is. Yes. Yep. Like, and Chris is like, oh, I'm going to touch her mouth. And she bites. I'm like, oh, fuck. Yeah. She knows because she's like you said, she trusts her instincts. She lives out in the wild. She knows how to fucking survive. So she knows right away that Chris is a predator. She calls him a demon and a bastard when he catches her. When she meets Brian for the first time, Mm -hmm. she knows instantly yeah. She trusts her instincts, her guts. And that's something I love so much about this film and what brings us back to the feral feminism and wildness and entrusting our fe- our own instincts is knowing when we're in danger or knowing when we're a threat or knowing when someone is in a danger or needs help. Yeah. And what's awesome about the woman is that 
she uses her eyes and her body language to communicate Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. the people around her. She Mm -hmm. uses her body language to intimidate Chris, to Mm -hmm. intimidate Brian. She will know. She's like, I will not be tamed. When she tries Mm -hmm. to communicate to Belle to try and get her help, and Belle betrayed her in that moment, uh, leaving her to that prey. Peggy, you know, and like trying to, you know, recognizing Peggy's uh, distress and her struggle and her pregnancy, and you know, she's able to communicate with Peggy, and Peggy helps saving her. Like, the woman is fucking smart. People don't often give, you know, people credit for trusting their instincts. They're just like, mm-hmm. oh, that's just that doesn't make any sense. You got to think logically. You got to think with yeah. your brain. Yes, the yeah. brain can help you figure out some logical things if you need to. But yeah. if you're in a life or death situation or if you're mm-hmm. in a fight or flight moment, you're going to trust your gut. Because mm-hmm. you know, your body will yeah. always know what's going to be best for you in that moment. And that is what the woman does. She trusts her instincts. She trusts her gut. And mm-hmm. she's trusting her instinct because she's done it so long to avoid being caged. Yes, she got caged because she was also wounded. We, we recognize from the film that she is wounded, which I'm assuming it's from carryover from the mm-hmm. original film, Offspring. So she's clearly yes. not up to yeah. uh, And she wasn't obviously not feeling the greatest. So that was like, you know, the only time you really can mm-hmm. catch dangerous prey is when they're wounded. She was a wounded yep. prey. Yeah, and I love, you had such a good point. Like, he's out there, yeah, hunting. He's wearing his camouflage. He's hanging out in the woods, like, trying to blend in with the environment. But he can't because he is not of the environment. He is not of the earth. He is not in the forest. She is. He uses trickery to catch her because he knows he couldn't take her one-on-one. Men use various devices, and sometimes they're physique to break down and entrap women that's exactly what she was sorry what he does and then of course she becomes a victim of the male gaze leering at her while she's bathing which that 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 is not her experience that's not her life that's not how her world Mm. is but that's chris's because chris thinks that he lives in the civilized quote civilized world yes he says like we need to tame her this isn't civilized behavior as he spit out her wedding his wedding ring just saying um (laughs) yeah (laughs) but that is the mind of chris whose women are around him bell a housewife and mother he has that capitalistic viewpoints on women the exploitation of our bodies because that's what it's about labor reproduction what can they provide to him what is this woman going to do for him god knows what he would like to do if he she ever was quote ever tameable but it also again all comes down to do you mean civilized do you mean subjugate do you mean dominate because that's what people like to do to people that are quote savages we have seen this through thousands of years of colonialism all right folks so that's what he means and she's not going to do that Feral feminism rejects societal and systemic hindrances, especially, like we said, capitalistic, patriarchal poisons. They're flipping that script. They're not living by those standards. They're living by their own standards. And I really feel like, to me, you said, Jess, like, yes, the wild woman, the feral woman, the feral feminism, the wild woman has this knowledge deep inside of us so we can be an ally a leader a model a teacher to women and again we see this at the end of the movie unfortunately i feel like bell failed to do that with her own children oh i'm i'm not she did there's a lot of layered problems with that that we could talk about for the next hour but i think that she failed the women of the family she failed her daughters i know she was like okay i'm gonna take my daughters and leave you unfortunately didn't get to that point 
but she failed them. And what can the feral woman, the woman do to be all these people? We are going to teach you how to live in this world via instinct. And I just find that so absolutely powerful. It's really powerful because another point about the instinct there is I'm going to bring it back to Miss Rattan, the teacher. It's interesting how we are, you know, Chris puts like civilized women above the woman and says, you know, of course, we're like, oh, we're civilized. We should know more. We should think more logically. And but she doesn't trust her instincts. She doesn't trust her gut to recognize when something is not appropriate. Like, you know, red flags are going up that entire time. She's having that conversation with Chris and and, uh, Brian and, and, you know, and the look of devastated betrayal on Peggy's face when yeah. uh, Miss Rattan says, yeah. I believe she's pregnant. And Peggy's like, oh my God. Like, the woman knew oh, that shit. and didn't say anything. She knew it was a, oh, she yeah. knew it was a quiet. This is a oh, secret. Yeah. She knows, right? Because she can yep. read the signs. She can tell. Miss Rattan did not follow her instinct, did not listen to the red flag. She listened to the system's way of how you d- address problematic yep. behavior with children yes. instead of trusting her gut and being like, oh, something's wrong here. Peggy is afraid about yep. this at home, doesn't want me here. So usually that is a simple sign of saying, there's something wrong here. You need to leave. But she didn't. And so she betrayed Peggy in that moment. And that's another act yeah. of betrayal, right? Um, yeah. Ms. Rattan, Peggy, revealing a secret. The woman trying to communicate to Belle, the, you know, trying to get help me. And she didn't. She, she yep. played, unfortunately, Belle played the submissive role, which is when, which is when women yes. are conditioned by yep. society and traditional work to be nice, kind, yeah. helper, peacekeepers, and suppress all our emotions, be the yeah. perfect wife at home, be the perfect female employee, don't be aggressive, don't be assertive, don't have a voice, don't protect yourself. Yeah. And yeah. this is why Chris wants to civilize, you know, this aggressive or assertive uh, yeah. woman that he's found in the woods because she's going to use her voice. She screams, she yells, she bites, she yeah. fights back. Yeah. She will not be tamed by a male denominated society no she lives outside of it and we can celebrate Mm -hmm. her for that and i love that she kind of encapsulates all of that this wild woman this feral feminine this like independent strong woman she doesn't respond with fear when she's trapped oh no this is resistance she's and we see so much of this in film obviously like horror like oh we're running we're screaming we're tripping we're falling our clothes are getting ripped off it's like it's all fear like i fear is granted and i understand that those would be that's a very normal human response but she lives outside of this society of our binaries our gender roles she doesn't respond as chris assumes she's going to because he underestimates her from the get-go i think he understands that she is dangerous because she doesn't really know how to act as a woman which is meek mild like a mouse you don't say anything but she's strong she's powerful she's independent and Again, I I respond so deeply and personally to this concept and this this woman, the woman. And I thought about it a lot because I've I've been having some of my own personal struggles in my life. And what this movie and some of this research about feral feminism made me think about was like capitalism, misogyny, white supremacy are all aspects of our patriarchal system, the society that we live in that all strive to hinder our own innate feral woman our wild woman it's so easy to be broken down by this system and it's an absolute struggle to fight against it but we have to right the woman is telling us we have to she is like our guide to 
getting ourselves out of this toxic cycle, out of this toxic environment. And unlike other rape revenge movies where the woman starts as, quote, weak, and then she has the transgression upon her, and then she returns as this, like, hardened, strong Avenger. Love that trope. But the woman was always strong. She was always self-sufficient and always independent. She had already embraced her feral feminism and innate strength as a woman. So again, she didn't respond to Chris's, quote, attempt at domination, or at least his captivity of her with fear. But again, as uh, with resistance, she allows that kind of element of her feral femininity to lay dormant as she intellectually observes everything around her, right? She just kind of hangs out there for a little bit because her time is coming. She's very observant. I agree with you, Jess. We underestimate her. People are going to think that she is just like this unintelligible, quote, stupid, for lack of a better word, person. But once she's released, we know she, she wreaks havoc on her perpetrators. Again, these symbols of white supremacy, patriarchy, capitalism, all those things that strive to silence our innate wild woman and trying to stamp out our feral feminism. So what this movie, I think, is really trying to say is that we can't allow that to happen. The woman is won't allow that to happen. And we have to form our own, quote, community of these kind of empowered women to help us fight against this system That was a long-winded thing, but it really just hit me very strongly this month watching watching this movie and uh, doing the the research for it. I have no idea. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It just like really, really spoke to me. And I just find this movie absolutely incredible. And like Lucky McKee, I don't even know if you really know what you're doing. Like this is a game changer movie for me, I think for film. And it's such an underrated, underseen gem that people do not talk about enough. And I'm so glad that we decided to do our spinsters take on it because Again, it was it was a game changer for me. I needed that kind of boost of this reminder of my own innate wild woman that I know is there. I will never be tamed. Oh, yeah. You I, I definitely see you as like the woman in that in that scenario, in that situation, unfortunately, in that situation. But like you, you know, you embody within yourself what would people would say is aggressive. I'm sorry, yes. assertive woman. Like yes. you have been in situations where you speaking up for yourself or setting yes. your boundaries yep. or being too, or, you know, or considered bitchy or something like that. If the woman was working out in the world right now, yeah. Yeah. She would be part of gender bias. She yeah. would be people would be trying to silence her left, right, and center oh, yes. because she is a leader. She is strong, and they would see her as threatening, combative, and aggressive. But that's what we need. Yeah. That is what women can be, and that's what we want. But this is this is what misogyny is trying to keep down. This is why this film, like you said, Lucky McKee's film, is so important is because the whole time we're watching misogyny break women down. Down. Chris is breaking down all the women in the family, and he's trying to, and he's going to try and do that to the woman, and she. Turns around and says, fuck you, enough is enough, goodbye, and cancels him. Because that is what we need to break. We need to break the misogyny so that women who have within them their own feral femininity can come out, can be celebrated, and can help other women who've experienced trauma and to help them find that within themselves as well. So yeah, this film is really important and I can understand why people will have a lot of mixed feelings around it because it it deals with very controversial subject matter. It deals Mm -hmm. with stuff that people don't want to talk about, but it has a very empowering message at the end of it. You just got to sit through an hour and 37 minutes of really hard, hefty eye 
eye-opening stuff, though. And you're right. Like, I I mean, I work in the veterinary industry, which is predominantly women these days. It didn't used to always be that way. It was always male vets and stuff. But I've been called challenging, arrogant, and this was by male veterinarians. I've gotten along swimmingly with all the female veterinarians I've ever worked with. You know, I feel like we're just always on the same level, but apparently some of these male vets did not think that I was on the same level as them. And when I created boundaries and said no and maybe questioned authority and, you know, stood up for myself and had a voice. Yeah, I'm challenging or I'm arrogant. I sure. So yes, I've experienced it. I guffawed at that and moved on, but it happens in all roles of all of life, like in the workplace and politics and family units. Like it's all, misogyny is all over the place. Like gender stereotypes, like if women aren't fitting into them, men are very confused I don't know what to, well, how do we deal with this woman? She's so emotional. And it's like, dudes, frankly, I think you're the emotional ones. You just don't want to admit it really. But if the women aren't matching their quote, gender stereotypes that they try to fit us into for thousands of years, they're looked negatively upon, right? Belle, when she shows resistance, she's abused and silenced. She's required to fall into a role and the gender stereotype to literally live her life. To survive, she must submit in this world. And I like it's heartbreaking to see. And I know I just I do think that she failed her daughters. And you want to be like it's frustrating, but then you're also empathetic, but then you're frustrated again. It's just like it's mm-hmm. complex. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. complex. You know? Very complex. You know she's a victim of the system, but then you're like, but you need a you need to step out of the system. But unfortunately, <laughs> she doesn't. Here's the thing: there's yeah. not proper stuff in place for women. To have that. And here's one thing that I will say to everyone. Believe survivors. Believe survivors. Believe someone who comes to you and they're talking to you about if they're if they reveal to you they're in a domestic violence situation or any Mm -hmm. kind of situation in which their life is at threat. Because you you never know that one moment of belief can help them change their life, you know? So that that person could be the woman for them. Great point. Absolutely. And we have the woman who's on this, obviously, the other a different, complete end of the spectrum, our aggressive, feral woman that, quote, requires taming is, the, you know, the, the idea throughout this whole movie. You can't tame what does not need to be tamed. You cannot tame what is not yours. And you can't tame what you don't understand. Chris's incredible sense of entitlement, bolded entitlement, is what created this world of toxicity, harm, and depravity in his household, which is supposed to be warm, loving, welcoming, accepting, a place you're supposed to feel safe. And none of these women feel safe. And that's fucked up, for lack of a better way to say it. And now we've arrived at Spencer's final thoughts, this time over a nice warm cup of tea provided by our sponsor, Brutalities. Since we're spinsters, we obviously love tea. One of our favorite things is to curl up with a movie on a cold, rainy day. Or with a good book. Absolutely. With a mug of delicious, hot tea. Brutalities is a company that we discovered at a horror convention and fell in love with. They have a variety of tea blends from black, white, and more. But what stood out to us was not just how yummy they were, but their spooky and metal-inspired names. With Screamsicle and Children of the Candy Corn, we thought Brutalities were a perfect match made in... I am obsessed with tiramisu. And I'm currently obsessed with Banana Bell. So go to Brutalities.com to grab some for yourself with listener code SPINSTER15 to get 15% off your purchase. For our Canadian fans, please contact them directly before ordering for shipping quotes. So now that we have our tea, let's put these spirits to rest. So to open my Spinster's final thoughts with a quote from Women Who Run With The Wolves. If you have yet to be called an incorrigible, defiant woman, don't worry, there's still time. And also something very important. 
I wanted to put out there into the world the National Domestic Violence Hotline by calling 1-800-799-7233 or texting START to 88788. You can start to receive help if you are in an unfortunate domestic abuse assault scenario. They have a really great website uh, which can help you create an exit plan or strategy out of your bad situation. We'll make sure to put in our Spencer's Library this website. We need men. We need you to be allies. We need your help to stop sexism, misogyny, and abuse. We can intellectualize until we're blue in the face, but we need to have action. We can keep fighting for ourselves, which we absolutely will. But folks, men, you know how many men I've run into that say they're feminist or have feminist leanings and do absolutely fucking nothing? We need you to turn your shit around. You need to begin acknowledging the truth, understanding and accepting it. If you're the problem, you change it. If you see a problem, you say something. The classic adage, if you see something, you say something. This is how we're going to get change because unfortunately, you know who men listen to? Other men. So we need your help. We can, we, we can, we'll keep fighting ourselves, but we need your support. You, you, I don't want to say you're the problem, but you're kind of the problem. It keeps being perpetuated, enabling sexism to continue. The Woman is a powerful film with a powerful heroine, an underrated indie gem. Another example of what transgressive and disturbing cinema can offer to us as viewers. Moments of fear or disgust, but more importantly, it's a medium for catharsis and growth. Humans dominate out of fear, nature, animals, other people. That's definitely a concept we've talked about numerous times on this podcast because it's the truth. Chris knows he couldn't take the woman fist to fist, you know, bare knuckle to bare knuckle. So he needs to hold her captive with chains and shackles to show that women aren't allowed to be free and wild. He had already destroyed the spirit in the women surrounding him. Now it was time to take on a new challenge. But the power of the feral feminine is much too strong. It is fierce and commanding. It's in all of us and we can't let the Chris cliques of the world take it away. We will choose our family, friends, and our support system, remove ourselves from this patriarchal, terrible world, and live as we want to, untamed, untouched, and unbothered. And to end this with another quote from Women Who Run With The Wolves, to be ourselves causes us to be exiled by many others, and yet to comply with what others want causes us to be exiled from ourselves. Extreme horror uses disturbance rather than fear as a dominant emotion to unveil the real horrors of the world that exist. Misogyny, racism, sexism, discrimination, and violence is often part of that equation, and often that violence is directed towards women. And also, that violence often starts within the home. A cycle of violence that seems to almost be inescapable and will undoubtedly forever leave a mark. The Woman is a feminist movie at heart, even if it's written and directed by a man. Lucky McKee shows misogyny at its most grotesque. The violence of the woman serves a larger narrative, not only about the dangers inherent in a patriarchal family, but in societal structures that uphold misogynistic concepts and continue to perpetrate gender inequality. It shows us how the structures that are in place are often built on misogynistic ideals that serve men and endanger women. Violence against women, domestic violence, is often a result of gender inequality, in treating someone who's not a man as inferior. And I really love the quote that Lucky McKee uses to describe this film as, The woman is a symbol of freedom, a version of the final girl who is a hero for an audience for standing up for those who cannot stand up for themselves. 
The Woman is a story about women seeing the violence through their eyes. Our female characters of Belle, Peggy, Darlin, Socket, Miss Rattan, and The Woman. Their fear, their pain, defeat, resentment, and the retaliation. When enough is enough. And that ends our episode on The Woman from 2011. We want to thank Dance of the Dead for our brand new intro and outro music, Kiss of the Creature, and to all of you dear listeners. We want to remind you to follow us on our website, spinstersofhorror.com. We are on social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search for Spinsters of Horror. We have a Facebook group called the Spinsters of Horror Coven, so come hang out with us there. We also have a letterbox account uh, called Horror Spinsters, and we also have a YouTube channel, The Spinsters of Horror. You can watch our recent episode of Spinster vs. Spinster on the best Lucio Fulci film there on video. And we also have a book club. You can send me a private message on Twitter uh, for our Discord server link if you want to join. And as well, please rate, review, and subscribe to any podcasting app that you use. And also visit our Public shop to purchase some of our merchandise. So next month is going to be a lighter month, everyone, and we are returning to a favorite series of both of ours, Know Your Roots. We're looking at the history of horror in the 1960s with proto-slashers, splatter films, the birth of the zombie movie, and international horror cinema. So until then, remember, the future of fear is female. Female.